You know, there's something about purpose. With purpose, we need little direction. Motivation finds its way. And purpose is just what Moto Hank has. He works to ride. It's sort of tough to nail down where each trip idea is born. It could be the way the morning sun shines through the door of his one-man BMW motorcycle repair shop in southern Texas. Or maybe the dusty summer breeze as he closes the door at the end of a long day. Either way, if you were to just drop by the Moto Hank shop, you're either going to find Hank wrenching on somebody's BMW, or you may just find a sign that says, Hank has gone riding. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Sam Manicum. Ted Simon. Austin Vince. Simon Pavey. Brian Field. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Elspeth Bayer. Jim Hart. Jansen. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. It's wind pressure that powers the Moto Breeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. Motobreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Products is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters. CyclePump.com. My name is Hank Arriasola. Most people know me as Moto Hank. Um, I am a motorcyclist traveler slash photographer slash shop owner. Um, I have a little shop in South Texas, uh, a little town called Dilly. And uh, I specialize in BMW motorcycles. so I'm, I'm kind of the oddity here in town because it's a small town, about 2,500 people. And so having a BMW repair shop down here is, you know, very strange for everybody. But it, for me, I'm close to the border with Mexico. So um, it's a perfect spot, I think, for, for a lot of travelers coming through here. Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. What, what do you mean it's a little strange? You mean because it's BMW being a foreign make? Is that what you mean? No. Uh, I mean, usually you would think BMW, uh, it's a, already a limited clientele. So you would think you're in a big city, uh, which actually San Antonio is the closest city to me. And it's, you know, hour and a half away from me. Um, so you would think that to keep that kind of shop busy, you would need to be in a, in a, you know, a large city. Uh, but I'm, you know, say an hour and a half, 80 miles from the city. Uh, and those are my closest customers. Obviously I have from, from other parts of the, um, the, the state. So it's just, you know, people say, how do you survive on here? Or how many customers do you have in this town? I go, well, zero. I have <laughs> none. They all come but, from outside. They're all traveling by. Yes, most of them. Now, I, a big bulk of them are my steady customers for you know, services and things like that. But I do have a, a, a good amount of traveling customers that uh, say they're coming up from the south, say like 
Panama or Argentina and they're headed north, uh, I'm usually their stop for some service and some relaxation for a little bit. Or even the opposite, uh, if I get people who want to go south and they want to have their bikes prepped for a long distance trip, uh, they contact me and, and I'll prepare the bikes and sit with them and tell them about um, what they need, uh, how to pack, uh, documents are, they're going to have to have and things like that. Dilly, Texas. So you're, you're right close to the border? I'm about um, 80 miles. So I'm 80 miles to San Antonio and 80 miles to, to Laredo on um, I-35. So we're, that's, I guess, the advantage. I'm on the main artery, um, you know, going there. But, um, but yeah, it's just odd that, you know, I have a little niche uh, shop in the middle of nowhere, basically, so. You, you, you say you're a longtime BMW rider. Why BMW? And that's obviously why you have a BMW shop, but why BMW? What, what's the draw with that? I always had a, a thing for German products. I just like the way they made things. And um, I bought my first BMW when I was 21. And mostly I bought it out of a reputation. You know, I, I used to have Hondas and uh, I used to hear that, you know, that was a legendary bike to have. And uh, so when I turned 21, I bought a a brand new one. And actually it's the only vehicle I've ever bought that's been completely brand new. And it was a, a K100 RS in 1985 when they first came out. And, um, I paid, I guess at the time it was like $8,000. And my dad used to sell cars. So of course he was always trying to, you know, find a deal, but he goes, I can't believe you just spent eight. Well, I, w- I was trying to make payments and he goes, I can't believe you signed the documents for $8,000 motorcycles. Are you crazy? And, uh, but is, is, is it like, I mean, is it reputation? You, you said you really bought it because of the reputation is, is the, the reputation, time, yes. is it real? Is, it was the reputation real because you know, like, like there's a lot, like you said, you rode Hondas. Hondas a fantastic motorcycle. I mean, yes, they have a reputation. It, at the time it was one of the first uh, fuel injected motorcycles and uh, and again, you know, the, the, the whole German thing, you know, I just always liked the way Germans did things. Um, and yeah, I still have the bike to this day. Uh, and actually, so fast forward now, I ride R1100 GS that I bought in 96. And currently the bike has 540,000 miles on it. Uh, and it's the original motor. Yeah, and she she keeps going. Uh, I just got back from Central Mexico. You know, went down there for a, a few days, and uh, um, it's very reliable. You know, I can I can trust it uh, to go anywhere. Five hundred forty thousand miles. That, that's a lot of miles. I mean, that's miles, not kilometers. So we're talking like what? What is that in kilometers? It's like eight hundred, eight hundred, eight hundred plus. That's so ridiculous. It's like eight eighty or something like that, right? So now. the original motor. You say the original motor. I mean, we're talking the original motor. Unlike the like as it is or rebuilt. No, as it is, I have opened it to replace the uh, chain guides because uh, you know, they have four plastic chain guides. Um, and actually, on a trip to Costa Rica, I broke one of them, so I learned you know a lesson that they don't last forever. Mm. But uh, but I was lucky. I was just about to take off when I heard a thump and I turned the bike off. It didn't sound normal. And so the guide just broke. It didn't damage anything. The plastic broke or the actual metal part of the guide? Well, it's plastic. Yeah. So the plastic broke. And so then the chain starts flopping around. Is the whole uh, guide plastic on that? Yes. Yeah. There's four of them. Right. Uh, it's, a, it's a boxer. So it's the upper and the lower, right and left. 
but yeah, I've just opened the engine, changed the guides and put it back. So it's original valves, springs, valve guide seals, uh, obviously the, the bearings, the rings, the, all that's still original. Do you attribute that to BMW quality or, or good maintenance and a bit of luck? Uh, no, I think, well, all of the above, um, the quality is there. And even because I notice a lot of the new bikes have issues and, and I guess they all do as the, as they say, you know, your first year, you're always suspicious of things are going to go wrong. Sure. So they figure the bugs out Yeah, better. Yeah. But just better tolerances of, of, um, specs, uh, as to how they assemble things. I think now it's more, um, a market to buy something for three years and then move on to something newer. So they don't design them to last, you know, as long. Mm. Um, and uh, I mean, it's consumers market with, with everything, whether it's cameras or, or motorcycles or, you know, computers. So I think there's a lot of that to it. And then, yeah, you, I mean, you have to, if you, you know, I'm religious about changing the oil on the bike at, you know, at proper times. And, and they've used a good oil along the way, but even, um, you know, the transmission, all the gears are still the original ones. Now I have had to change some bearings along the way. Um, but the, the gears are, they're all still the original gears that, you know, that were there. So I would say probably still 60, 70% of the bike is still the original parts that came with it from, from the factory. You know. And this is a shaft drive bike. It's a shaft drive bike. How, um, how many, how many times have you replaced that? Once. And actually, and I changed it, I was going to go to Argentina on the bike. And at the time the bike had like 450,000 miles. And I thought I checked it and it was a bit stiff. And so I, I, I decided to replace it now before I had a problem in the middle of nowhere. Um, but, uh, I, and with my shop, I do see a lot of dry shafts here. You know, I, I do those quite often now with the newer bikes. And again, it's the same thing. Just, it seems that the quality is a little less because they figure you, you want to buy something new every three, four years to, you know, to keep the sales going. Mm, yeah. I think obviously I'm not, I'm not their favorite customer because I'm not buying, you know, something new all the time, you know, holding out. Yeah. No, you're not the one, you're not the one they want. They want, I mean, you're loyal, exactly. but you're just not regular. That's the problem. That's the problem. Yeah. They're going to go to business yeah, uh, I, depending on people like you. Yeah. I think they run away from me. It, it yeah. used to be too. I used to make fun of companies who took okay, We have this rain suit that's water, you know, waterproof for life and go, okay, we'll see about that. And sure enough, <laughs> you know, give me a year and a half with it. And it would spring leaks and they, they hide from me. It's like, oh man, sky again. Well, you know, the thing is with motorcycles, a lot of times people don't get the chance to ride that much. I mean, let's face it. It's a, it's a hobby for, for everyone or most people. For everybody. Yeah, yeah. And so you get out and ride as much as you can. But I mean, it's very common when you look at used bikes, as you, you know, you look at used bikes and they've got no miles on them. You think, yeah. wow, how do they manage to, to put no, I always think, how do they manage to put no miles on their bike? I mean, you know, they, they told me like, I bought my bike, uh, this one that I have now new only because I couldn't get a used one. One. Only one I've ever bought new, and I don't think I'd ever buy another one new. But um, I remember they said there's a. I had to come in for that warranty thing in a thousand. She, they said come back in a thousand kilometers, and I said, well, I'm going to be back in like three days, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And 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 the, you know I was I, I was back in, in just uh, well it was under a week, but only because that was the time I could get there, and by that time it had almost two thousand kilometers on it. So it's like you know, they don't expect you to do a lot of miles. And, and I guess yeah. when they're designing things like what you're saying is they're, um, they have that in mind, you know, that people aren't riding 
on average all these miles. Yeah, they play the law of averages that, you know, we're not the average. I mean, the so my bike, uh, that was the last year with the unlimited uh, mileage warranty. And um, I remember my final drive did go bad, my original one, at about 80,000 miles. So I took it to the dealer and it's oh, no, you're you're out of warranty because of the mileage. And I go, no, 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 go, go look at the contract. I'm, <laughs> I'm un, unlimited here. And so guys like us slap themselves on the forehead and it's like, man, this guy. You've done a fair bit of traveling by motorcycle. How did that start? What, what got you into traveling by motorcycle? Uh, originally because it was the cheapest way to go. Um, I've always wanted to see the world and I've always been curious about, you know, many places, but I couldn't afford to go you know, to fly, like when I went to Argentina, um, I could have flown there many years earlier, but I didn't want to do that. I wanted to ride down there because I wanted to experience, you know, the world as it was changing along the way. And so I just, I did a lot of traveling within the U S. Um, again, when I bought the, the, the GS for the travel, um, I couldn't pay for it up front. So, you know, I had to finance it. So I, I couldn't, Across the border with until I had the title, which took a while. Uh, so I did a lot of traveling within the U.S. and um, and then finally I started expanding my my horizons, you know, further, further out and further out. And and uh, and I've been riding since I was ten, so sitting on the bike was just natural to me. It's just a natural posture to to take. Um, and it's just, it's just a, it's fun. It's um it's very interesting. Cause you. You stop and, you know, and this is like before internet. So when you would pull up to a village somewhere, you were a stranger and you, I mean, you weren't like a common person who would stop in there on the, on the big bike. So people would always come up to me and talk to me. It's like, you know, where are you from? Where are you going? You know, and I was just as curious about them, you know, about the, the place I was at, the village or, or things like that. So that always spiked my interest to keep going further and further, you know, um, and that's, that's kind of the cool thing now. I guess the internet some, somehow takes the personal feel away from that because you can just pull it up on Instagram and see, you know, this place or that place. Or you go there just to, to say I was there and take a picture, you know, but you're not really appreciating where you're at. And sometimes more focused on that than, than actually exactly. experiencing it. I mean, you that, can go yeah. on and look at Google uh, Maps and Maps, go to Street no. View, right? <laughs> I mean, you can yeah. see exactly what places, which which can be an advantage and completely a, a disadvantage a too. Disadvantage. When I rode to Argentina, uh, I wrote a blog, and I'm not a writer uh, as far as like writing a, a blog because I'm just very self-conscious about doing that. Um, I let my photography kind of show where I've been. But I used to get uh, a lot of emails saying, well, how come you're not posting where you're staying? And it kind of made me mad because it's like, that's p part of the, your homework you're doing when you get there, you know? And so if you write where you stay, then you take all the hard work away from people. And that's the whole point is you, sh you should get there and explore around and ask, hey, is this a good place? Or is this a bad place? Or, you know, or, or get that the traveler sense that, okay, now this doesn't feel right kind of place. You know, so I was always hesitant to write this. Like, you should experience that when you get here. You know, you should sniff around for the good spots and bad spots. Yeah, it's a bit of it's a bit of a rite of passage, isn't it? I mean, it even exactly. goes back to the guidebooks before the internet, because the guidebooks would put in there, you know, stay at this place and stay at that place. And next thing you know, the place is overrun by people who are sort of destination focused rather than experience focused. 
Yeah, right. and, and you certainly find it now with campsites. I mean, with every campsite and every spot layout that you can pull out and, and camp somewhere, even if it's not a camp spot, is posted on the internet. And it just gets uh, overused and abused, really, by people who are just looking for a, a quick stop. Right, yeah. And, and I, think, I think that's where they miss out on all the, the adventure, the flavor of all these places. Um, uh, and I was, some years ago, some friends of mine were in Ushuaia. And when I was here at the hostel I stayed at, there was like, I think I was the only rider there. You know, there are other backpackers. But then a few years later, some friends of mine pulled up and they sent me a picture and there's like 20 bikes in the parking lot. And it's like, but it's because of the internet, somebody posted, oh, this is where we're staying. And, and so that became the target, you know, so everybody was landing there. Which is, I mean, it's good for the hostel. Here, but. Yeah, great for the hostel, for sure. But, and also things have changed somewhat. I mean, the market's developed, you know, people are, are seeing mm-hmm. motorcycles as, wow, that, you know, I can have an amazing adventure. And I, I think they see the positive sides of it, you know, that it's so much better than going by, by car in, in so many ways or, or truck. And um, certainly, you know, better than backpack in so many ways as well. So I think, I think a lot of people have had their eyes open to that. And, and of course the market's developed. I mean, I, I don't know as we can really say if it's good or bad, it's just different. True. And now going back to when I got my, my GS BMW at the time was still, still fairly new to the adventure travel market. Um, I think what really exploded then was when long way round came out and, you know, then the whole world saw, Oh, I can use this bike to go around the world. But an adventure travel bike was something you had to build yourself. It wasn't like already there from the factory. You know, you had to assemble your own bags. Mm-hmm. And I remember even in my high school days, you know, I would go through the J.C. Whitney catalog, you know, trying to find a fairing that would fit or trying to make, you know, a duffel bag to not fly off. or See what you can adapt. To, yeah, yeah. You, you, had to, you had to build it yourself. And, and um, so, yeah, everything's completely fast forwarded, you know. Now the, the bikes today, you know, they come completely packaged for you from the factory. And if you, if you have the, the funds to just plop down, you know, that kind of money. What yeah. was your, your first big trip that you consider sort of your first big trip? Well, before the BMW, I had a, and technically I've only owned uh, four motorcycles in my lifetime that are, I would say mine. Um, but the one I took the, that I had in high school and I went to college, I went to school in, um, in Las Vegas at UNLV. And at the time I had a Honda 550 Supersport and it was kind of like the Mad Max bike, you know, it had, you know, we cobbled together whatever we could find, the Kirker headers at the time and all these other things. There's some surprise, I still remember those, the name of those headers, but <laughs> I remember I trucked it there. I had a little neat, uh, it was a Datsun pickup at the time when I went to school. And so I had taken the bike there then Coming home, I wanted to take my first trip and wanted to stop at the Grand Canyon and all these places. And my dad, same thing. He was like, you'll never make it. He says, um, you know, that bike's just not going to make it. And I, I'd had that bike for several years. And it, so that was my first kind of test runs to you know, how to pack, how to, and I had, I think, soft bags. So try to keep one from getting sucked up into the chain and stuff like that. I ran out of gas, short of Flagstaff. And, and then uh, I thought I could take a shortcut on the, you know, we were using paper maps and um, it was a gravel road. You know, I remember somehow I ended up in a field full of cows and 
I was like, yeah, this isn't right. <laughs> <laughs> and then I lost the spark plug. It was somehow the vibration, the thing on, on, uh, winded itself and came flying out. And luckily I found it, but, <laughs> but just crazy stuff like that. But I finally got home. So, and after that trip, when I decided, okay, I need to buy a proper touring bike. And, and that's when I had you know, been reading all the different motorcycle magazines. And, and again, I kind of went on BMW Tributation that they had, um, you know, the, the boxers at the time, but then they had announced for the first time ever, they were breaking away from the boxer engine and, com and coming out with a four cylinder that was fuel injected. And of course, you know, like any kid, you, know, you want to be modern. It's like, Hmm, that looks really interesting. And of course it was aerodynamic and all that stuff. So I ended up convincing myself that this is the bike to have. And, and then, and I got it, you know, it took, took a lot of effort to get it, but, um, that's the K bike. That was the K bike. Yeah. I remember my payments were, were $142 a month. And my dad's like, how are you going to pay a hundred bucks a month? Where are you going to come up with that kind of money? <laughs> I said, well, I don't know. I'll figure it out. But your dad is not a rider. Was not a rider. No, he, no, he was not. And, uh, I'm not a big guy. I'm only like five, seven. And so a lot of sports around here, you know, football, basketball, and well, baseball was terrible at, but I couldn't play football or, or basketball. because obviously my height and somehow I gravitated to motorcycles because it's something you do by yourself. You know, you don't need a, a group or a team. And I think I was natural at it. I, I guess you could say I have good balance and it's just something I picked up and, and, and I just enjoyed it. You know, it's a, you know, good peace of mind. You could ride and have fun and clear your mind and think about, you know, good stuff, bad stuff, you know, but it's just something that, that worked for me. And, and to this day, you know, it still does, you know, coming back from Oaxaca, you know, but six weeks ago or five weeks ago, I was thinking the exact same thing. And I was, you know, enjoying the ride through the mountains. And it feels good to sit on the bike and just ride and, and smell the fresh air and see the, you know, the nice landscapes as you're, you know, as you're riding, it's not like, okay, this is no more, this isn't fun anymore. You know, that's, I've never had that feeling. Now I've had, I've had my times where I'm in a place that it's overwhelming or you're, you're completely wiped out. Like, you know, one time I was in Malawi on my bike, the, the, the GS, and it was a long late day and some, I got lost and I had a, an African map that would tell you if the road was tar, uh, sand or gravel. And, uh, it said, uh, tar to this place where it wasn't, it was beach sand, but I'm under a canopy and I was so tired. I fell off the bike twice because, well, actually once, but I fell over twice at the same spot because it was just super sand, you know, I was exhausted and hadn't eaten all day. Mm. And it was already late at night. It was like nine 30 at night. And I, and since I'm under the canopy, I can't, I can't get my bearings. I don't know which way if I'm supposed to be going in the right direction, but it took me about 45 minutes to get the bike up and I was pointed in the wrong direction. So when I tried to take off again, the front tire got buried in the sand and I fell over again. So that took me like another hour to get the bike up. And, and so it's one of those episodes like, okay, I'm in the middle of nowhere in Africa. It's like, you know, okay, this isn't fun today, <laughs> you know, but. So I finally, I get to the place that I'm going and this nun comes out. She goes, no, this is a, a guest house for women. She says, you have to go like two more kilometers or three more kilometers. <laughs> Actually, she said six kilometers. I remember thinking six kilometers can be 600 miles as far as the sand is concerned, you know, but 
I finally went and I found this other place, you know, and once I showered and ate, then it's not so bad. But when you're, yeah. when you're there, you know, trying to wrestle a 600 pound bike in the sand, it's like, okay, what am I doing here? That's you know, an so. interesting thing you pointed out though, the, the perspective about, you know, even after all these years you're riding along and you're still getting those feelings of wow, how spectacular it is. And, 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 you know, I hate to, to gush about motorcycling because obviously we all love riding our <laughs> motorcycles, but it's true, isn't it? I mean, you buy a car and in six months well, or even less, sometimes the car is kind of, well, it's old, you know, at that yeah, point you're pretty used to it. Yeah. But the bike, it's like you ride it and, and it seems like, you know, different spots. There's always downtimes. Of course, always times where you don't feel mm-hmm. the, the greatest, but there's so many times where you go, it's like, it's almost like you, it's your first time again. Right. Yeah. And you, and you, I think you have to have a deep down passion for something, whether it's photography, or, you know, riding or riding a bike or writing literature. You know, and, and I think we live in such an instantaneous world now that do you want the gratification right now? And then like you say, yeah, a couple of months, okay, it, it's, it's old already. And, and that kind of weeds out a lot of people that this is, these are, you know, long-term passionate people about what they do and into riding. And for me, that's one of them. You know, the bike is, um, even, you know, I started the bike shop kind of by accident, but, but it started with a lot of passion and I was worried about, okay, am I going to get tired? Am I going to get burnt out? Um, working on bikes all day and, and take the fun of it. But I learned how to regulate that. So it, it doesn't burn me out. That, tell, you know, tell, us, I, tell that story about how you started the bike shop. Well, I learned, I, I worked in restaurants for like 10 years and I hated it because it wasn't something I enjoyed doing. What were you doing? But it, I was working in the kitchen. I actually I started out in Las Vegas. I started out as a bus boy and I was making really good money just picking up cleaning tables. And then there was an opening in the kitchen and they said, Hey, uh, you know, if you're interested, there's a slot back there for you. And I thought, well, maybe this is a, a good career move, especially in Las Vegas, you know, that's with that industry. So I jumped into that and, and then I moved back from Vegas back to Texas. Um, and I realized I didn't like it, especially in Texas working in restaurants because you know, it just wasn't, wasn't fun. And I didn't see a career coming out of it. So then I started working uh, at a car shop and I started working as a BMW tech and, and I kind of, they, they taught me as I went, you know, but I've always been very mechanical and good with my hands. So I picked up a lot of these things pretty fast. And so then I started doing that. And then I convinced the owner of this place where I was working to uh, start working on bikes. And, and the funny thing is because I rode a bike, a BMW car customers who also had the bikes with, pull me aside and say, Hey, can you work on the bike? And, and it kept happening over and over. So finally the owner agreed and we started working on bikes and, and then that picked up. And then, um, from there I decided I wanted to, to travel into Argentina and I wanted to take, you know, enough time to enjoy the ride in which at the end it became an issue for the owner of the, of the shop. So we, we parted ways and, and I just continued working on my own after that trip. I got back and um, I looked in the city for a place to open a shop, but I couldn't find anything I liked and, and that was affordable. And so I've owned a building where I'm at now for a long time. And so I started here and it just picked up and kept growing and growing. Uh, and I think one of the reasons I'm successful here too is because people come down and they see that I'm not just an owner. I'm the guy that works on the bikes and and they see me, you know, really enjoy what I'm doing and, and 
and get into what needs to be fixed. And if it doesn't need to be fixed, I tell them, look, you, you don't have to do it now, do it another time. But I think they appreciate that, that they see that passion in me versus if they take it to say a dealership and, and it's just a kid in the back, you know, working on who may or may not care about the bike, you know, and, um, there's not that connection. Um, and so that's kind of how that, that started. But I also, I told myself I needed to do something that I, I enjoyed doing, whether, you know, whether it was cutting grass or washing cars, you know, I, I could enjoy that versus working in a restaurant. I wasn't enjoying that. And so that's kind of what, what led to this. Um, because I work by myself and that's by design. I do get in my, okay, I, I don't want to see another bike and I'll close the shop and I'll take off and go somewhere. And so that's where the traveling comes in and it balances out my, you know, my joy for life because, you know, that's, that's the other thing you have to enjoy life and you have to live life and not just exist. What do you do? Just hang the sign up and says, Hank's gone yep. on the trip. That's yep. it. <laughs> nice. Well, I've got some great news for you. Overland Expo is back this year. Overland Expo is, is very likely the largest show of its kind, certainly with the series. And this season promises to be the best ever for Overland Expo. They've got three dates this year, three dates. There's just so much to do at the Overland Expo. The venues run three days. They're packed with presentations, instruction, uh, skills areas, vendors, and there's a huge gathering of Overlanders from all walks. For uh, the motorcycle skills area, they've got Bill Dragoo from Dart. You know Bill from our Rider Skills program. Bill and the Dragoo Adventure Rider training crew will be there at all of the Overland Expos. Now, I'm going to give you the dates to buy the tickets, but first, uh, I just want to say that because of these COVID buyouts, you know, you've went to purchase things and, and everything seems to be gone off the shelves. I highly suggest that you get your tickets now if you want to go before you miss out, because I have the feeling because this is going to be like the first event and, and it was put off for a while that people are going to flock to it. The tickets are available online on their website, overlandexpo.com. Here's the dates. The first one is August 27 to 29. That's at The Ranch in Loveland, Colorado. That's Overland Expo Mountain West. The next one is Overland Expo West. That's at Fort Tuthill County Park in Flagstaff, Arizona. And that's September 24 to 26th. And the next is Overland Expo East. It is at the Oak Ridge Estates in Arrington, Virginia. And it is October 8 to 10. Overlandexpo.com is a website. Go there to buy your tickets. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Go light, go fast, go far with Giant Loop. Giant Loop, again, is one of those companies started by a rider and making gear for other riders. So it's uh, riders making products for riders, and you, and you can't beat that. I really think that is a, a great model. The Giant Loop difference is they make bags for the job. Unnecessary weight and bulk are removed in their designs. So instead, they focus on lighter, simpler gear that um, serves its purpose. You don't have all those extra straps and buckles that are so common with all kinds of uh, packs and things and gear that you buy nowadays. Giant Loop is well known for their loop style bags that mount on any bike. No rack required. They'll fit on just about anything. They also have handlebar bags, tank bags, and some really good looking panniers as well. Their website is giantloopmoto.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Giantloopmoto.com. Okay, basic equipment for adventure riding. All your personal gear, of course. Maybe some bags to throw you in your gear and your, your clothes and things. A good set of tires. 
and a set of professionally made quality purpose-built foot pegs like IMS Products makes. Yes, I'm biased, but not because they're a show supporter. The reason that I'm biased is because I've rode thousands of miles on my IMS foot pegs and I love riding dirt and rough trails. And I know from experience that IMS Products makes great foot pegs that give me far more control of my bike. Frankly, they make me look like I'm a better rider than I actually am, but that's just between you and I. Um, IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you go there and deal with them, um, throw in there, you heard them on Adventure Rider Radio, IMSproducts.com. What do you do? Just hang the sign up and says, Hank's gone yep. on a trip. That's yep. it. <laughs> nice. I've had customers call me and, you know, one funny story, a guy called me once and he, um, cause you sound like you're asleep. And I go, yeah, I, I, it's midnight or it's like three or four in the morning. And he was, well, where are you? So well, I'm in, said, I'm in Namibia. And he goes, oh, well, I wanted to come down Saturday for some tires. I go, well, wait about two more weeks and I'll be home. <laughs> so, <laughs> So we did that schedule, but my customers that know me know that I do this. I'll close for, you know, sometimes three weeks, sometimes, you know, three months and I'll, I'll go, I eventually I'll come back, you know, now the chaotic side about that on both sides is that if I tell them, okay, you know what, I'm going to go to, you know, Turkey, you know, I was just in Turkey. Um, I get slammed right before I go because they, they know, okay, he's going to be gone for a month. And then as soon as I get back, it's the same thing. I get slammed again because, you know, I was gone. So, Which is great for travel because it brings in money before you go and brings in money when you come back. That's, yes. That's got to help. It, 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 that side, it helps. It's just, you, you think, okay, I'm going to have a peaceful takeoff and go and, and it's the opposite. You're pulling your hair out because, you know, you're trying to get parts and supplies for, for the projects to get them out of your hair before you leave. Right. You know, because you don't want to leave for, anybody's bike sitting in your shop while you're gone. Yeah. What, what's yeah, what's the scope of repairs? Like, what kind of stuff do you are you doing? It's it's basic maintenance stuff. That seventy like it's probably seventy percent of my business is typical maintenance stuff. So tune ups, um, tires, bigger lights, or GPSs, um, the bags, you know, the aluminum bags. Um, some guys now buy older bikes because the new ones are so expensive. So and they want to fit it out to you know with what they their budget will will require. So, you know, we, we cut them out and a lot of these guys, the sad part is a lot of these guys have the intention, but never follow through. So they won't go, you know, beyond our borders here. Um, and, and, and that's more of an American problem. I think is that we have a a thing that if we go more than five days, we're going to lose our jobs. And I got over that fear a long time ago, you know, I, I learned, and as, as it's obvious now, you know, if I go for months at a time, mm-hmm. I learned you need to experience life today, you know, because you don't know what happens tomorrow. And if you're riding while you can, because, you know, as we get older, these bikes get a lot more heavy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <For sure. laughs> your knees don't hold up like you remember them holding up and, you know, and your back and all these other things. So, so you, I always tell my customers, do it now, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, don't be afraid of what's out there because it's, it's not that bad. You know, it's, it's just, um, it's just all in your head. You know, it's, that's what's slow. That's your biggest limit is what's in your head. 
Yeah. It's, it's lifestyle choice, isn't it? Because not everybody wants to, not everybody chooses the life where they want to, where they want to travel around. I think what it is is a lot of times when people say they want to, it's like they would like to, you know, like if I, if mm-hmm. other things weren't more important to me, I would go and do this long right. distance trip or whatever. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just, that's just, I mean, if everybody went and did it, we would, we wouldn't, it'd be overrun. Everything would be overrun. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. As long as you're happy doing, doing it the way you're doing. Yeah. Well, well, and that's the way I see it now. I mean, the, as as the whole adventure market has evolved, I sort of see adventure riding as more of your weekend or week or two weeks or whatever mm-hmm. thing where you're going out and you're sort of pushing the limits of, you know, person and machine sort of thing. I guess, you know, you, you want to challenge your machine, you want to challenge your riding skills, you want to pack everything on your bike and go. And then there's the ad- adventure motorcycle travel where you're not riding so hard. You're, you're right. because you want it to last long. It's sort of like a division there, you know, like two different rides, it, two different styles. It, it and is. Both are great. Yeah, it is. And I, I've had this discussion with a lot of customers who they want to see a lot of things, say like in South America, especially with the altitudes of the Andes. And I go, don't kill yourself and don't kill the bike trying to get to a spot that, you know, is beyond your means. You can always take a local bus and stuff. You got nothing to prove to nobody but yourself. So, you know, if you if you think that getting to this spot is too too rough on you and, and the bike, don't don't risk it and kill the bike, you know, there. Instead, save it, you know, till you get further south, you know, you'll you'll appreciate it later. But mm-hmm. people get into this also they push themselves too hard because they have something to prove. And, and, and I think it's just, it's, it's a shame that they kind of look at it that way and go, just enjoy it and enjoy where you're at. One of the things you, you specialize in is, is helping people prep for long distance travel. What kind of preparations are we, are we talking just motorcycle preparation or do you actually help them plan their trip and give them ideas about that sort of thing? The, the planning of the trip also, um, the first question I always ask is how much, say they want to go to Argentina. The first question I always ask them is how much time? If they say 90 days, I usually say don't go. Or, or 60 days, especially don't go. And most of them kind of look at me with big eyes. Well, what are you talking about? And they go, the problem is you're going to be on the bike the whole time and you're not going to experience anything other than the asphalt. They go, you need minimum six months to get to Argentina because there's so much to see in between. And that's the whole purpose of this trip. Or that should be the purpose of the trip. In my opinion, is you want to experience where you're at and go see places. You don't want to just sit on the handlebars and say, okay, you know, I got to, it's like collecting stamps on your passport. You know, that's not any fun. You want to experience where you're at. And, and I, I see again, the American market's always in a rush. We got to get there. Got to get there. Got to get there. And if I have European customers, they're completely opposite. They want to slow it down. They want to do, you know, maybe 250 kilometers a day, you know, they want to just enjoy and explore where they're at. And, um, and that's the whole purpose of the trip. That's what's, that's what you're going to want to remember years down the road is that, Oh, I met this person or I saw this waterfall or, you know, I had this experience versus just some, uh, yeah, I remember sitting 
and watching the sand dunes from the back of the handlebars, you know, going through Peru or wherever, mm. you know. There's a bit of a, um, a qualifier you have to say with, with, with that, I think, it, is that because to some people, the ride is what it's all about. Like, I always remember this one guy who, who said to me, he said, I don't care about culture. I want to ride my right. bike. And, th- and that's all he's into. But, but so, so, I mean, like some people will, will just be into that. They're, they're into riding, getting sure. on that bike and riding. And of course, there's a lot of long distance riders out there. But I, but I think the advice that you're giving is so important is because it's something that if you haven't done it already, you may not realize, you, you sort of get it over your head exactly. and you hear this all the time. Time. People get out there and they realize, oh man, I, I got to ride hard and long just to make my schedule, and I've got everything booked, and and that's where the whole thing falls apart and becomes this this uh, painful experience rather than like you're saying that that what it should yeah. be for you. And you know, I learned every third day you need to stop. Now, if 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 you're traveling on a, on a six month and you need to get from here to there, I always say every third day you need to stop and rest. And they're like, well, what are you talking about? And I go, your body needs a chance to rest. I go, especially if you on some rougher terrains where you're, you're taking a pounding and the bike needs to rest. You need to take a day to stop and look at the bike, wiggle things, make sure nothing's vibrated loose. Nothing's about to fall off because that's when you want to catch it versus, you know, you're going down the road and all of a sudden, you know, your calipers come flying off because, you know, the bolts vibrated loose. Mm-hmm. And you need to, you need these days to clear your mind to, to do these things, you know, cause it, it's happened to me too. You know, uh, I remember one time on my way to, um, uh, like towards Calafate in, in Argentina or yes, there was still the Argentinian side on the Ruta 40, which was still dirt. And, uh, I, I felt like a, a flat tire. So, and it was cold and windy that day. So I, I pull over and I look. And you know, roll the tire, nothing to get on. And I go a few more feet and I still feel it against me. Then I look and I realize on the back of the BMW wheel, here comes the train. Here's your, here's your, um, my freight line. Here's your, yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. So you got that right in your backyard. Yeah. So I look at the rear tire and I realize two of the four bolts were completely gone. And the other two were like within turns of falling off. So the vibration had just loosened the, the lugs on the back tire. Mm. And that would have been a disaster. That thing comes off, you know, but it's just stuff like that, that you think you catch and you know, you, you always miss something. Do you now so, put Loctite or something on your bolts now that you had that happen? Not, well, you can't do it on those. Cause then when you need to get them off, you, you can't, I mean, and technically if you, if you torque them to the proper specs, you know, they should stay put. Sure. But, but sometimes you miss. Now, other little stuff, yeah, I use like blue Loctite. Uh, well, there's removable Loctite. There's different grades of yeah, Loctite. Yeah, the, right? the blue one. Yeah, I never used a red. Yeah. You. Which, uh, I had a guy here the other day was putting red Loctite on something. I go, what are you doing? It's like, uh, but uh, so, yeah, just stuff like that. You need to have a day to stop and look and re- and rest. You know, I had some, some clients from um, the Michigan area who are going to go to Argentina and then jump over to um, South Africa and then right up Africa to Europe. And they were going to do this. I think the plan was like six months. And they said, you guys are nuts. They go, you can't do it. And they they broke out the map and they had, we're going to do 400 kilometers a day. And they go, you can't Ooh. do it. I go, there's too many variables. There's, you know, border crossings. There's weather. There's political issues that happen along the way. 
Yeah, even if you could that. ride 400 kilometers a day, day after day, the, there's yeah. things that are out of your control. Exactly. And I go, plus, yeah, same thing, you need to rest and, and all these things. <clears throat> Long story short, in Zimbabwe, one of them had a bad crash and broke his arm or his hand. And uh, I asked, well, well, what happened? He goes, I fell asleep. You know, I was so tired that I fell asleep on the bike and mm. ran off the road. And uh, I don't want to say I told you so, but well, that's what happened. You yeah, know. totally preventable, you know, and, yep. and just uh, yeah. pushing yourself too much. And of course, and you're, you're so exposed, you know, for it, in an area like that for everything, the expense and the, the downtime and the bike. Exactly. Yeah. It gets way more expensive at that point. Do you, what, what, like, give me an example, another example of, of somebody you've helped prep and, and what you did for them. Like, you know, do well, you start right usually, at the top and work your way through? Or? Yeah. Usually, I, I, okay, so we figure out the time and, the, and I'll try to get them to go longer if they can so they can slow things down. The next step is what's on the bike. Um, the If I'm going to push them into something, I would say suspension because most of these guys never think about that. And they bring a lot of things and the bike can't handle the that weight and the bouncing. And traveling in the U.S. is one thing where the roads are fairly flat but once you get say south of mexico guatemala where you have a lot of washouts and landslides and 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 just bad roads potholes you're you're not going that fast but you're bouncing and beating the bike like crazy so if you have a suspension that's already old and there's a lot of miles or just a a cheap suspension it's going to break on you or you're going to break something else on the bike. Cheap suspension, like stock, you mean? Yeah. 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 It's just, you know, very, very cheap. So, and most everybody usually backpedals. Say, well, you know, it's expensive. I go, it is expensive, but it's going to be a lot more expensive if you break something down there. And, you know, we can't send you something. And, uh, and if we can send you something, usually customs is going to tie it in, you know, in holding for weeks. I go, so... Think about it carefully because that's something you don't want to you know, to to gamble with, and chances are you will break something, you know, with with, with cheap suspension. And then it goes to the next step is uh, packing. You know, I've had guys show up with uh, almost a red snap-on tool chest strapped to the back of the bike. You know, and it's like, why are you bringing all these tools? And just bring your basic tools. You know, and if you need to borrow something. You can find a local shop or you have to go buy something. You can buy a cheap wrench from somebody. But most somebody is going to help you fix something. So you don't bring these many things. Just bring your minimal toolkit so you know you can keep moving. On my trip to Argentina, when I was in the way south, um, I fell. I had a bad day and got caught in some bad roads in the wind. And I ripped one of my panniers off, uh, which were the aluminum ones. So I get into things uh, Chile Chico. And I saw a car repair place, so I pull in, and uh, these two guys walk out, and and they go, well, can we help you? And I said, yes, I need to borrow a big hammer. And they're like, what? I said, I need to borrow a big hammer. And they started laughing. I go, no, no, I'm serious. I need to pound my bag back square so I can put it back on the bike, you know. And obviously, I'm not going to carry a big hammer, but, you know, I, you know, sure. And so, you know, they let me use their shop, and they got the bag square again and drill new holes to resecure it and you know we're all happy and <laughs> but you have to be a little ingenious with these things and have a little macgyver in you but but you can't bring everything you know, you just, yeah because if you brought the hammer you would have had the weight of it all that time to deal with you would have used it the once and had all the weight of it to take back again in the bulk 
Yeah. And I've seen guys carry like a little five pound sledge and buy at the hardware store. And it's like, mm-hmm. why do you need this? Well, you know, so like get a, you know, get something else. So there's a lot of that. And, and I've, I got a huge collection of tools that the guys leave behind just because, you know, they're so heavy. What other kinds of things are, are you prepping? So, uh, so we do the, that stuff and then we, then the next phase is usually documents, you know, make sure that they're gonna have the, the proper paperwork for the bike, the, the registration or the title, uh, make sure their passports have plenty of space and stamps around, um, time, um, what to expect, who's going to need insurance, who's not going to care about insurance, um, like Belize, you know, Belize is notorious for asking you they don't tell you at the border, but about 20 miles into them, there's a checkpoint and all they do is ask you for insurance. And if you don't, they pop you, you know, um, Nicaragua and Costa Rica, for example, also require you to have insurance. So they, they ticket you, but, I mean, it's sort of almost a setup really. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like Belize is such a small country, it's expensive to get insurance, like 20 bucks a day, you know, cause they know you're going across in a oh, day wow. or two. So, so they kill you on that stuff. So a lot of these things that I tell them and then also how to prepare, um, what money to carry, how to get money. I usually never carry more than say a hundred bucks a day. Uh, cause you can get better rates and, and go to an ATM as you're traveling, you know? Um, and if, and then I would say, you know, carry a traveler's wallet, which is a disposable wallet should something happen and knock on wood, I've never had to give up my traveler's wallet, but you know, my real wallet with my, my real license, all this stuff I, I hide and I bury. So somebody wants to get silly and okay, well here, take this wallet and you know, but I use it every day when I'm traveling. So, so it's kind of my daily wallet, but I, I keep limited amount of money. This is the one you got your hundred bucks in, right? That you're, yeah. Yeah. And if it depletes it, you know, then I go get more money as, as I go along, but never carry tons of cash on you. Cause you're just, you're kind of asking for trouble at some point, you know? So just little details like this. Um, uh, and then the, especially like in Latin America, the deal about a bribe always comes up and I've never paid a bribe and, they, and I won't. And people always ask, well, what do I do? And I go, just do it the official way. If somebody wants to get you, give you a citation, you tell them that you're going to go pay it at the municipality like you're supposed to. You know, and, and so I explain how that process works and you know, don't let them scare you because they're going to, that's the whole point is they try to scare you into saying, oh, well, I'm going to take your bike. They're not going to take your bike. You know, they're not, that's too much work for them. You know, so they, it always, it's always a business deal the way I see it. And, uh, if you become too complicated, they just give up on you and go pick on somebody else. It's not going to be so difficult. Have you had it happen to you? Have you, have you had to deal oh, with price? Yeah. Yeah. All the time. And you, you just know. do the same thing. You just say, no, I'm just going to pay the fine. Take me to the, the police station or. Yeah. So they'll say, uh, when I come back and say, well, look, I'm, I'm not going to pay you. I'm going to go the proper way. And they say, well, no, you have to pay me because you're not from here. You're from, you know, and I'll say, no, I'm not going to pay you. We're going to go pay where we're supposed to. And, um, so one guy once said, well, you know what, I'm going to keep your license. So I know that you paid. And I said, fine, keep my license, which was a copy. Um, he didn't, he didn't know it was a copy, but, um, I said, give me your cell number. And when I go pay the fine, I'm going to call you. So show you the receipt and give me my license back. And it kind of caught him off guard. And he's like, well, wait, wait a minute. So we went back in the car, talked to his buddy. They come back out and say, here, have a nice day. Just get out of here. It's like, thanks. <laughs> Which you expected. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't you can't let yourself get scared that you lose control of the situation. Now you can't you can't get mean and belligerent with these people because they're still you know official, but you can't let them you know scare you into these things. You know, you have to just be logical about about this stuff. But the same happens, you know, friends of mine who've been robbed at the train station in in Rome. You know, one of them worked at an embassy, and he was telling me. When I went, he goes, oh, I'll be real careful at the train station. And then like six months later, he got his passport stolen at the train station. And it's like, I thought you told me to be careful. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean? What happened? Like pickpocket? Yeah. There's just a lot of pickpockets and, uh, and, and the we have those everywhere. That, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what it is. You know, you just, you, you can't be that gullible when you're traveling. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've had, uh, I think the worst episode I ever had with police was in Peru. Those guys were vicious. I mean. They would just come after you and, and, and harass you for anything. And one day I got stopped five times, you know, um, and I never paid. But by the end of the day, I was like so angry with these guys. So, you know. And but, five uh, times all the same thing or is it trying different scams? No, they, no, they, yeah, they, they always come up with, you know, clever things. Um, one guy with well, my headlight was turned on and I'm blinding people. Was, that's how the bike comes. There's nothing I can do about it. You know, but then they started leaning onto, well, you know, this is illegal. You, it's like, yeah, right. Uh, I got stuff for having uh, extra tires. I had my uh, extra set of tires mm. back there. Uh, I got stopped for having too much mud on the back of you know, my license plate. So, well, we can't read your license plate. I go, what's, you know, not my problem. Your roads are muddy. <laughs> you know, of course, I, I use some, I use some more colorful words with, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah. I mean, the the reality is the people that are make very little money, so they're looking for a way to make make money, wink, wink, you know. And uh, you just have to learn how to deal with these guys, you know. But why don't you want to pay a bribe? Is is it just because you're cheap? You want to keep the money for your for your trip, or what's your issue no, with it? No, because it because it's a it's a very bad habit. And here's the other train. Wow, that's right by you, isn't it? I'm about. This is he's going fast. He's quick. So the other problem I see is you get stopped by a guy and you pay him. What's to keep him from calling his buddy up the road, you know, fifty miles and say, "Hey, this guy's handing out money. You know, he's easy." Yeah. And then they'll stop you. Or the next guy that comes, the next trailer that comes up behind me and gets stopped and you know and gets pushed into you know paying. So it's just a bad habit. So just avoid it. And, it, it, it creates an industry, doesn't it? I mean, if you pay it and the it next does. person pays it, the next person pays it, well, then the guy's got a, a, a job there. He's got an industry that he's built up and he's going to mm-hmm. push even harder. Like you're going to make it more difficult. It won't be just a matter of asking for the money. It's, they're going to become more difficult because they're so used to getting it. Yeah. Yeah. The, I remember one time in Peru, this guy stopped me. And it's the same thing. As you're coming up, they're standing in the road and they point you over to, to pull over. So I pull over. And so we're stopping you because you're going really fast. And I go, how fast was it going? He goes, well, really fast. And I go, well, how fast is really fast? And he goes, well, you're going way over 100, which I think the max speed limit was like 80 kilometers an hour. And I go, well, I want to see the radar. I'm used to saying that here. And he goes, no, I can't show you that. And I go, well, then I'm not paying anything. And so his buddy was maybe like, you know, 50 yards down the road in the shade with his pickup, the police pickup. And he yells at his buddy, show him the radar. So the guy pulls out his cell phone from his pocket and he waves it at me. And they go, that's a phone. 
goes, no, no. I said, you, you see that little camera on the back? That's the radar. And I go, baloney. And, that's, that's <laughs> and then about that time, the phone rings. And I go, you know what? You guys are you know, a bunch of idiots. I'm not paying. So I got on the bike and I kept going. <laughs> it just rode away. Well, it, yeah. it, but you speak the language, right? You're, you're talking to people well, in Spanish. Yes, but it, it, it can be it can be uh, used against you because there's no excuse to get out of what they're telling you. Maybe right. You, you can't you can do that. I don't understand yeah. thing. Yeah. I don't understand. Except in Costa Rica. I, I, what I saw was kind of odd that the police drive tow trucks because there's so many rental cars that if you don't pay the fine, they just tow your car, you know? And the other things, they have flashcards. So they stop for speeding and you say, Oh, I, I don't know. I speak Russian. Well, he pulls out his Russian card says you're speeding. You know, <laughs> this is what you do. <laughs> These but, guys but, are prepared. <laughs> but if they're driving tow trucks, when they say to you, you they're going to take your bike and you said it was too much hassle, isn't that kind of scary though at that point? I mean, you're thinking. In, in that situation, they're already set up for that, but it's a legit thing. But in my case, you know, I told a guy, look, I didn't realize I'm, I was tired and all this stuff and he felt sorry for me. He said, all right, you can go. Um, but these other guys, it's, it's they're flying. Well, the reason they're not going to arrest you is because if they arrest you, that's going to be three or four hours of their time. And who's going to get the money if anybody gets taken? It's going to be their their boss or their commander, mm. not them. They're going to get pushed out the door. And so they're not going to want to go through all that trouble for nothing. So they're not going to bother with you. Right. you see? It's, it's, it's Now, if you got crazy and you push them or shove them, then, yeah, that's a whole other ballgame. And then, yeah, you're in deep trouble. But you have to look at it with common sense into from a business point of view, they're just trying to make you know, cheap bucks off of you. You know, you're, not, you're talking South and Central America. Do, do you have the same attitude in, in Africa? In Africa, I got stopped in uh, Zimbabwe and uh, of course they were doing an inspection and they showed my insurance. Oh, well you don't have red reflectors on the sides. You have to have red reflectors on the sides too. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, it's a, it's a law. You, know, you have to have reflectors. And uh, and we I, we sat there for like an hour and a half, which is another thing. You have to have a lot of time. That's your advantage or anybody else's. Um, you know, the guys who had stopped me before who were finally said, let me go. They, they're banking on you want to just get out of there. And I'm like, hey, I'm, I told myself I got all day. I mean. Yeah. So we sat there and we talked in circles and circles and circles. Finally, they, they gave up on me. So I just get out of here. Yeah. Cause then they want to make money. They don't want to sit there and argue with they, you for, for yeah, one. They, they want to follow the path of least resistance. And so mm-hmm. that's what they're, they're going after. Do you find it stressful at the time? Like, I mean, you, you were talking about dealing with the, you know, even the, the police and Peru was the only place that towards the latter part is I was crossing Peru and I got to admit, it was worse in the north of Peru, where there's really no tourists compared to the south, where everybody flies into Cusco, and you know they know to behave because if you know if they get the tourists too mad, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. But I, I had gone to a point where I'd see a you know a cop like pull up behind me, it's just like going through traffic, and your blood pressure goes up. And it's like okay, you start for- formulating what to do if he stops you. You know, you start planning that, and then at the end they wouldn't. They would veer off and go somewhere else, but. But yeah, that was one of the countries where I was just like, okay, I've had enough of these guys, you know, and it's, uh, it, it's almost like a chess game. Okay. What's your strategy? What are they going to want to do? What are they going to say? You know, they just don't give them any important documents you can't live without, you know, so mm-hmm. don't give them the, the documents to the bike. 
because if they take those, then they kind of have you over a barrel. You know, you, you said, I, I want to go back to you talking about the preparation thing. You said, you know, you always mm-hmm. ask people about time first and uh, ask them where they're going and then ask about time and try and get them to do more time. Then you go into suspension and, and packing and then documents. But the interesting thing, and I, and I want to talk about, and we sort of went on from it, but was you're saying about tools, you're talking about taking minimal tools. And, and the, right. the irony in your statement is that you're a mechanic. So, right. and, and so often you talk with people who do their own repairs. I do my own repairs and, mm-hmm. and um, they want to take all the tools Everything. because they know what to do. And, and it's, it's kind of ironic to hear that, the opposite advice from somebody who is a mechanic. Yeah. And, and, and the reason is, you know, Latin America doesn't have many elevators and there's many times I'm, I'm not a big camper. So I'm always staying in a hostel or a hotel and I'm stuck on the third floor, fourth floor and having a track this stuff up and down. It's like, okay, this is too much. So I learned to pack, I pack very minimal clothing. Um, and, and the tools is part of that same game. Is that they weigh a lot. And so uh, when I was in Ecuador, I blew a front fork seal and the handyman at the hotel, you know, he had a long screwdriver and some needle nose. Um, I have like a regular pair of pliers, but not needle nose. And so he had everything I needed and, you know, and um, there's a time in Peru, northern Peru, where I don't know if you're familiar with the BMW, the the front uh, uh, pedal lever arm, uh, pedal lever arm. There's a ball joint, and BMW uses two odd sizes because they're like a safety thing. So it's like a seven a seven millimeter Allen and a twenty one millimeter wrench to hold this nut and to the ball socket. Well, nobody has that, but in the middle of nowhere in Peru, this guy says, "What?" I've got these wrenches and one of them was a 21 and one was a seven millimeter Allen. <laughs> I mean, I don't, in the middle of nowhere in Northern Peru, but, um, but yeah, it's just, you, you have to be realistic again and you can't, you can't bring this stuff, you know, and you're always dealing now with my photography. I'm, I'm having that same dilemma because I carry two cameras and then, you know, all the batteries to go with it. And, and I keep struggling with, I should just leave one behind, but I like to have the two because I use prime lenses. So, and I learned changing lenses on the field, you know, you get dust on your sensor and right. makes it worse. So you want to go from one lens to another lens. Yeah. You, you want a different body for it. But, but before we go away from uh, tools, I, I sort of want to get this from you because you're a mechanic, you, you know what you're doing with this sort of thing. So what, what tools would you recommend that somebody carries? Like, in other words, I, 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 instead of listing them, I guess really what kind of things should the we very, be able to do with our toolkit? The very, the very basic. So just, Box wrenches from eight to well with BMW, so eight to eight to nineteen, and then you're gonna need a wrench or a spanner to get the wheels off because that's if you're gonna have to do anything, that's probably one of the things you have to do. Um, and and a good like a pair of channel locks or or a pair of just of pliers to if you have to pry something loose. But there's no no sense in bringing a hammer or a torque wrench or even you can maybe say vice grips, you know but a small pair. Basically what I bring is everything that fits in the tool roll and that's it. Uh, repair, flat repair. I have, you know, the, the spaghetti, uh, sticky strings that I'll, I call. Cause you're tubeless. Now again, yeah, tubeless. Let's say if you're running tubeless, if you run a tube, you're, you're stuck. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's just why there was nothing I liked about being the way back when they went tubeless a long time ago. Yeah, uh, well, mine mine has tubes, and and yeah, I mean it's a it's certainly a pain in the butt. There's no doubt about it. Uh, even here at the shop, somebody shows up with a tube tie. It's like, oh man, yeah, <laughs> I hate doing. Um, 
So yeah, just very, very minimal tools. Um, so you're talking basic maintenance stuff. Very, so you're talking yes. tire change, chain adjustment. If you have a chain, mm-hmm. um, maybe spark plugs. Do you carry spark plug socket? Uh, yeah, it's part of the original toolkit. So yeah, it's a, it's a little, just a little socket, you know, but yeah, that's it. If you have to do that. And um, by the way, there's, there's no chance, no point carrying a spark plug socket unless you know, you can get to your spark plugs. Cause in your bike, it's easy. But if you're on an oh, F series bike, for instance, you're going to be pulling a lot of stuff off. Stuff off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's just, yeah, you can, you can always find a lot of stuff and most of the world's metric now. So that's, that's easy to, to find, um, wrenches. I had, uh, once I had to go buy some sockets or deep sockets or something. And then I found them at the local, um, hardware store for, you know, less than five bucks. So, you know, and I carried them for a long time after that, but, but yeah, it's just, it's same thing, even buying parts or people say, well, I want to, what part should I carry? And I go, just depending on your bike, uh, like say my bike, the 1100s, the 1150s, they were known to have um, hall sensors that would short out. So, okay, it's, a, it's almost a $400 hall sensor. So, yes, maybe carry access rather small and bring it with you. So, should it go out, you have it with you already. But, but you know, don't bring another pair of shocks because you, you're not going to need them. You know, because I've had guys say that because I tell them, well, what if it breaks? Well, I can bring my old shocks. Don't, I mean, those things weigh so much, don't even dare bring them. Mm. You know, so what about tires? Cause you said you had, you've traveled with tires originally before. when I went to Argentina, I carried the, the basically the tarmac tires, which were the Anarchy twos at the time. And then when I was going to go across like the Atacama, I brought um, the kind of the wild, the knobbies, but that was such a pain in the bum that I later when we could get the height now it's here in the U S and that's what I still use because it's a good long lasting 50, 50 tire. Um, that you can get 10, 15,000 miles out of them. So, so that covers both, both, uh, territories. Um, so I, I use those now, but. So you're uh, not carrying actually, tires and no, no, no. And those things cause so much damage, you know, um, my back rack broke just from the same thing, the constant pounding, a lot of times the washboard and just the weight of those things slam in the, you know, the rack, they find the rack broke and. So yeah, if you don't have to, don't, don't bring them. It's too bad. They don't come like bicycle tires now because you know, you ever see bicycle tires they are all folded up completely now yeah. in a tiny little box. Yeah. That's, that's kind of cool. Yeah. That would, that would make a great uh, thing. But you, you mentioned at one point, you said something about that if one of your, your customers, you, you help prep them for a trip and they, and they, you know, they have a, have suspension blow and you might have trouble getting suspension. I, I'm gathering you're saying that because do you also run support for, for someone? So are you their, I, you're their contact? <laughs> Uh, yes, I've done that many a times. Um, I had some friends in Venezuela, and the problem was I sent them some parts, and they sat in customs for like uh, seven weeks. You know, the parts got there oh, in two wow. days. You know, but but that's the hassle. Um, I had a guy who blew out a clutch in uh, Argentina, and I told him it'd be about six weeks, and he's, well, what are you talking about? And I go, well. I can get them there probably in two, three days, but they're going to sit in customs for a while. So he got on the plane, bought an overnight ticket to Atlanta and, and bought the parts there and then flew right back to Buenos oh, Aires. Right. You know, but it's but, important to have somebody back home, isn't it? Set up like that, that understands you what do. you're doing and understands the parts and things that you may need that's able to get them to you. Right. Yeah. It's just, I don't know why Latin America is so difficult 
to sin parts too. And it's, and, and it, it boils down to the customs. You know, they just want to crucify you with, you know, the, the part that they're going to make you pay a lot of tax on. Um, and I don't think things have gotten any better now with the whole COVID thing. Mm. And there's no way around that then. Yeah. 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 Now, for example, uh, in 2019, I was taking a group to Guatemala and in Southern Mexico and Chiapas, I had a pothole that it was just a bizarre pothole. Uh, it was like six inches, maybe eight inches wide and about two, 24 inches long, but about 12 inches deep. And it had just like very sharp corners. And I hit it just square and the front tire bounced, no problem. The back tire hit it and the rear shock just shattered. The shackle broke off with the impact and the shock impelled itself into the rear tire and shredded the tire. Mm. So I thought, okay, no worries. I got a shock sitting at home. I could not get that shock to my to me because it's a high pressure object that the airlines will not fly to me. Oh. And I thought, well, even I'll fly home, pick it up and fly back. You know? And they said, no, you can't carry that on the plane. And, to, and shipping it, it's the same thing with Mexico. It's like, this is going to cost you a lot of money. So by miracle, I found one in Guatemala City. So we continued on. I had to leave my bike behind. Continued on to Guatemala City. And I bought one. And we overlanded it back. Back to where the bike was and got it going that way. But it's something so simple that, and I had sitting here on my desk, it was my old set of shocks. I couldn't get them. You so know? you would have had to wait for somebody to bring that by land? By land, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and if I was in northern Mexico, no problem, but I was, you know, way, way, basically near the Guatemalan border, so that wasn't going to happen. Is there anything that sticks out in your mind when you when you think about prepping bikes, like sort of one thing you'll say, hey, if you know, it, there's one thing you should do that you probably haven't thought of um, to a motorcycle? The shocks. The shock, always the shocks, the, eh? Yeah. That's, yeah, if anything's going to take a beating, it's going to be the suspension. Mm-hmm. Um, then, like, if they have aluminum panniers, depending on the brand, you know, make sure that that they're strong enough to handle the, you know, again, the constant pound. Because you're not going that fast. Once you leave Mexico, you're if you're going 80 miles, an hour, 80 kilometers an hour, you're going fast. But the roads are usually very curvy or not so good that you can't go that fast for that long. So you don't worry about that speed element like we do here. You worry more about the pounding and the pounding is going to be, you know, your suspension um, and you, you know, maybe a wheel you might, if you have uh, cast aluminum wheels versus say spoke wheels, you know, I'm going to say you're going to, you're going to ruin those before it's set and done. Uh, but that's the biggest element, the, the constant pounding the bike takes from just, a daily drive. And the, the problem with Mexico too is their infamous uh, speed bumps, topes. Yeah. You know, and you get, you get uh, um, lazy about them that you pay attention to the first thousand topics, but after that, it's, oh, you stop paying attention and you, you just hit them at speed, you know, and, and that's when you start you know, beating things up again. But yeah, suspension is always the, the biggest, the biggest thing I, I always kind of look at um, and then simple stuff, make sure you have brake pads, maybe bring a set of rear brake pads cause you'll, you'll burn through those real fast. Um, and then simple things and then look at your brake line. I mean, your, uh, fuel lines that they're not, you know, old and hard and dry and just anything that you want to 
address here before you get to some place that you can't get the part uh, or it's going to take you a while. And especially if you have a, a time a time schedule you're trying to keep, you know that's gonna that's gonna ruin it. Do you find that um, new bikes are, are any different for reliability than old bikes? Well, the problem with the new bikes is the technology that if something goes bad, there's nothing I can do. Then mm, so you you're know, talking computer, a, you're talking dealership stuff. Yeah, fly fly a tech down here with a computer to mm. you know that's the downside to to stuff like that. And the the problem is, say you you have an accident, you 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 go too hot in the corner and you crash, and you damage your throttle, which is now fly by wire. So if you damage it to the point where it's not not responding, well, that kills your trip because you're not going to patch the wire on the side of the road yeah. most of the time. You're not going to invent a rheostat for it, um, which mm-hmm. is, I guess is basically what it is. I, I don't know whether well, it must be, it's digital as well. So Right. Yeah, it's digital. So, yeah. so just things like that, that you have to be, be aware. Uh, and and, and to, honest, to be honest with you, I don't know how to, how to handle that just yet. I mean, a GS911 is great, but it, what it's going to tell you is what's wrong. GS911 yeah. is the, yes. for those who don't know, is a code reader for BMWs. Right. For the computer. Yeah. It can tell you what's wrong, but it's not going to tell you how to fix it. Mm. And it doesn't even always tell you what's wrong, does it? I mean, we've talked about this before not, on the show. Not I mean, all the time. No, it, I mean, it'll give you an area to look at. It'll give you something, but it doesn't necessarily tell you exactly what's wrong. And I think people make the mistake. They think computers are able to right. isolate something. And um, that's not always the case. Yeah, and that's that's the advantage like that I have is, okay, I know it's related to this thing so you know to figure it out but but yeah no you're right it doesn't point oh it's it's this broken wire here under the under the frame you know kind of thing is that part of why um, you hang on to your 1150 is because you're you're really not interested in the newer technology um you know as, as far no, as a bike not not so much i told myself um that i would ride it till it's no longer rideable and and to be honest with you it, it's still it's still very comfortable to ride and enjoy. And like I said, the other day just come back from Oaxaca, you know, I was just thinking of that. I go, you know, I'm enjoying the ride. The bike feels comfortable. You know, it fits me well. Um, one day, uh, yeah, I'll probably buy something newer. Um, but, but I still like, you know, that's the biggest reason I still like mine. You know, it's still, it's showing its age now, you know, it's not as shiny as it used to be, but, but, you know, it still runs well. And it's not like uh, it's, you know, smoking and stuttering. And as I take off, and it, still runs, it runs really well. And it's paid for. And it's paid for. You know, you, you're going to spend, if you're going to buy something new now, the bikes are averaging about $30,000 plus, you know, well, with bags and stuff. Yeah. But then you, you get, okay, the seat is, is not good. So then you get to spend money on some seats. Oh, I don't like these lights. You spend more money on the lights. You you spend a lot of money on these things now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you you've actually got your money's worth out of all your bikes because your K bike, yeah. your, your flying brick, you still have that. So you, you definitely got your eight grand out of that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I wish my dad was still around to see that the, that thing's still. Oh, he's still gone. Up. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, because uh, that would be you could easily be saying, "See, good purchase." <laughs> Even playing with bikes, he goes, "Man, you know what are you going to do? You can't work on motorcycles all your life." And then go. Oh. It's kind of the irony now. That's what you know pays me to travel the world. Are you, do you, are you working in the shop by yourself, or do you have other people there? No, just me, just I, you. And I do that by design for the, the biggest reason that I want to leave. Um, if I get 
fed up. Okay, I want to get out of here. I just close, you know. I'll tell my customers, look, I'm going to be gone from here to here. But but I go, if I had a staff, then I'd have to be worried about, you know, things flowing and continuing and and all these other things. And uh, so life is a lot simpler right now that way. How often are you closing up? I mean, aside from the COVID thing, which I'm sure is throwing a wrench into the work, so to speak. Well, actually, the COVID uh, never slowed down, never slowed me down. And again, because I work by myself. Um, it didn't slow you down for travel, though? The travel, it did. Yeah, yeah that's no, what I, I mean. Think yeah. that, that part of it. Um, but uh, bike-wise, no, I, I kept I kept going. But how often are you taking off for travel? Well, the travel this year, uh, I've already, I was in Turkey, uh, Mexico, and Croatia. Oh, wow. Um, so, and that's in 21. Last year, yeah, I was in Mexico when they closed the borders last year. And I was like, it was, it was really freaky when I got to the U.S.-Mexico border and, and there's like nobody there. I was like 20 guy there. Uh, so that was kind of bizarre. How'd you get um, through? Well, they have to let me in. I'm a U.S. citizen, so they, they have to let you in. Oh, so but, they are there, but, but they're, yeah, I see. Yeah, but it's it, it's a like super busy border. Sometimes you wait two hours just to, you know, clear the border. Oh, I see and, what you're saying. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I got there and there was nobody there. So it's like a ghost town. Yeah, so, pretty creepy. Yeah. Well, so, you, yeah. so you're hitting the road a fair bit. And, and of course, obviously that's the advantage of, of being the person, the one person in the shop is you mm-hmm. can lock it up and, and go and it's, and you're off. So you've been to Africa. What sort of places have you been? Where do you like to travel to? Well, most of, I've done the, the Southern third of Africa. So I did those, those countries and then pretty much all of Latin America. Um, I, I did some, in um, central and northern India and Europe, I always kind of avoided only because it was always so expensive. So I'm starting to venture off into Europe and not all, and not all of the trips are always bike trips. You know, lately I've gotten to just go without the bike and check things out. Uh, what I would like to do is a trans Russia to Europe and, and maybe down Africa to the parts I haven't seen. Um, so that's kind of the horizon. One of these days I'll get to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and are you, are you, these trips, like when you went to Africa, for instance, are you shipping your bike over there? Yes. When I went to Africa, I was gone for four months. So, uh, I, I did ship to Cape town and made a big loop, went around the West and then up towards the border with uh, Tanzania and, and uh, Malawi mm-hmm. and then had to come back down. I had hurt my, my left arm, um, on that trip. And, um, so it slowed me down and, and then I had to also, calculate if I keep going, I may get to a point where I can get out. Um, so I decided to make, uh, make it back, back down to South Africa and come, come deal with my problem. Um, <clears throat> and then I, I've gone back since, uh, last time I took us, I sometimes I work as a guide. So I went and I took some customers and we rented bikes there and we were there for two months, just riding around South Africa and the Namibia area. And where does the photography come from? Photography comes from the travel on the bike. I learned that I couldn't bring all the souvenirs I wanted to buy. And, uh, and so I just, the photograph was my souvenir. And, uh, I just started developing this huge collection of photographs. And so, um, the customers started giving me really good feedback of, uh, about the photographs. They enjoyed the photograph, the composure of it, the composition. And so I, 
I decided I needed to do something with it. So I started buying better equipment and, it's, and, and the more I traveled, and I was more aware of what I was photographing. So then that kind of took off. So I do sell or, or show my photography, but I sell more kind of as an artsy photograph versus um, I don't hire to be a photographer. So if somebody wants like a wedding, I don't, I don't do any of that stuff. Everything I have is from places I've been and, and, and I do that by design too, because I want it to be fun. I don't want the pressure to be there. Oh, I, I got to get, you know, I got to get the right picture for somebody, you know? Yeah. Well, it, it also takes away, I mean, it, it's not, it, that's not your living. Your living right. is your shop. So, I mean, that that's also makes it a little bit nicer, doesn't it? Where you don't have to worry about, I don't need to make this much money every week. Right. So if I show, if I have a, a show at a gallery, you know, and uh, if I sell something that's great, if I don't sell anything, you know, that's fine too. You know, it's just, I enjoy that people get, get uh, to view my stuff and they, and I get good feedback most of the time of, uh, of the images that they see and they like. And so that you know, it just makes me happy. You know, I wish I could write, you know, a blog, but I just, I'm terrible at that. And so I'm self-conscious about doing any of that stuff, but I admire people who have just a, a flair for words and they can describe places like you're there. You know? mm-hmm. And I just, in my case, I just let my photography do that. Your shop is, uh, is called Moto Hank. We'll put a link in the show notes. We've also got some of your photographs, as you know, and that we'll put in the, in the show notes because they're just great photographs. And, and of course, links to your website and everything. Hank, it was great to spend time chatting with you and, and get you. to know you a little bit. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you coming on the show. My pleasure. This is great. was Hank Arizola or Moto Hank from his BMW repair shop right beside the railway in Texas. His website is motohank.com. That link along with some of his eye-catching photography is all in the show notes for this episode on our website, adventureriderradio.com. I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and special thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of this. Hey, if you're not doing it already, if you're not supporting the show already, we need your support. The show is built on the model of advertising and listener support to make the whole thing work. Drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com, click on support. We got a bunch of different things, different ways you could get involved, and we'd really appreciate it if you have a look. Also, if you haven't done it already, drop by anywhere you see it, particularly iTunes, and give us a five-star review. That helps other people find the show. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin, and I will talk to you next week. This is Spencer Conway from African Motorcycle Diaries, and you are listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 